Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. In this episode, I spoke with Christina McPike. She's the Director of Energy and Sustainability at Wynn Companies. Wynn owns and manages a lot of multifamily buildings around the country, including a lot of affordable housing. We talked about how Wynn approaches energy, carbon, uh, sustainability overall. This was really a straightforward, no-nonsense conversation, which I expected from Christina. She's really savvy, really ambitious, but totally practical and down-to-earth. No, nothing pie in the sky here. We talked very candidly about the costs of improving buildings, and the costs have to work out. This requires some long-term thinking, and that was probably the, the main focus, the main theme of our conversation. First, we have a couple sponsors for this episode. Built Environment Plus is a membership-based nonprofit in Massachusetts. They're focused on sustainable and regenerative design, construction, and operation of buildings in Massachusetts and beyond. They provide green building education, networking, advocacy, and leadership opportunities for a growing community of sustainable building practitioners. They also nurture and connect emerging leaders in the field. Built Environment Plus offers a growing catalog of sustainability trainings. Many of these trainings can be reimbursed in full or in part through Massachusetts Workforce Training Grants. Courses include Certified Passive House Consultant Training and Certified Passive House Designer slash Consultant Training. To learn more, visit their website at builtenvironmentplus.org, builtenvironmentplus.org. We're also sponsored by PHN again this episode. The Passive House Network is a national 501c3 nonprofit that provides Passive House education to building professionals across the United States. They also support a community of knowledge sharing in collaboration with regional and international Passive House organizations. Recently, PHN launched an embodied carbon calculator called the PHN PH Ribbon. This allows Passive House professionals to calculate cradle-to-grave carbon emissions, including operational emissions. This can be done within PHBP energy models, providing the ability to optimize designs to address our climate emergency. Find out more about PH Ribbon at PassiveHouseNetwork.org, PassiveHouseNetwork.org. Thanks to both our sponsors, Built Environment Plus and the Passive House Network. Let's get into the discussion with Christina. To start, I asked her to say a little bit about Wind Companies and her role there. I'm Christina McPike. I'm the Director of Energy and Sustainability at Wind Companies. Wind is a 50-50-year-old family-founded and operated real estate developer, uh, owner, and property manager. We are based in Boston. I sit in New York City. And we've got, you know, 3,500 employees in 23 states in the District of Columbia. And we own 15,000 low-income multifamily apartments. And we manage an additional 100,000. So we're one of the largest property managers in the country, big landlord, um, and a smaller but sizable uh, building owner as well. Um, the properties that we own are all located in the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast. Um, and Wynn has had an in-house sustainability department for 
going on 15 years, I think. We're, we're three people strong and growing, as I think everyone else is these days. And our job is essentially to implement the company's commitment to sustainability, which anyone in sustainability will hear that and say, that's super broad. Um, my specific role primarily is to support our development pipeline, so acquisition rehabs and new construction projects, supporting the meaning from a, both a sort of compliance and financing standpoint, what do we have to do? What can we do related to sustainability? And then ideally, how can we push the envelope even further and do even more? And beyond the development pipeline, we work across our our portfolio of call it vintage properties that have capital needs and uh, various energy efficiency and water conservation opportunities. And my team uh, evaluates those opportunities, creates those opportunities, and implements on those opportunities. Man, I didn't. I knew when was big. I didn't realize uh, some of those numbers are pretty are pretty staggering. Yeah, yeah, 50 years. SWA is also 50 years old this year, interestingly enough. Congratulations. I think I saw an invitation <laughs> for a, uh, a COVID safe party coming up. Uh, and hopefully I'll attend. Nice. Nice. And you've you've been with Wynn for how many? A few years. Yeah, nine years going on, okay. going on 10. Yeah, right on. And so, I mean, on the sustainability front, in, in most of my circles, sustainability talk has shifted to electrification and decarbonization. There are still other things like indoor air quality and health, which I try not to let slide off the table, but are electrification, decarbonization, I mean, do you, is that what you think about mostly these days? These days, yeah. I, I joke. I don't think I, I muttered the word electrification before three years ago and now, uh, you know, 30 times a week and whole conferences uh, and presentations devoted to it as a topic. I think electrification obviously embodies uh, embodied carbon also <laughs> shot yeah, up to the yeah. top of the list this year um, or last year, but it, it also embodies obviously energy efficiency, but health and indoor air quality as well. Um, to the extent that that's useful to point out. Gotcha. Cool. And when we first talked about doing this podcast, you said, you know, we have to change the it, or it would be very useful to change the language, change the conversation to more of a um, capital planning language and asset management language. And for a company like Wynn, I mean, that I was like, wow, I, that sounds really important. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd like to dig into that, but I'd also like to talk a little bit about kind of what you're doing physically, the building systems and buildings. Um where does it make sense to start? I guess. Yeah, again, it's it's really broad and uh and because we have so many buildings and different building typologies, you know, garden style, low rise townhomes to high rise uh towers in the Bronx and you know, low rise multifamily in Miami. So um it's a very, very broad topic, which I think makes this industry so uh fascinating but also important. Um I don't know where to start. I mean, I, I like to think that Wynn is very much um, sort of on the ground, uh, in the in the weeds, sort of nuts nuts and bolts, and that's why I typically, or for the last couple of years, especially I'll say, as I have found electrification to be a difficult sell on its own, right? So energy efficiency practitioners, I think we kind of had it easy twenty years ago, ten years ago, as we're selling projects that save people money. 
great. Why it, you don't really have to sell that. You just just go and do it and stop talking about it, right? Today it's it's uh, much more challenging with electrification because electrification projects don't necessarily mean they're saving money. Um, they're doing a lot of other really important things. We're addressing capital needs. We're replacing systems that are failing. Uh, we're just not replacing them in kind. Um, and that's that's what that's why I, I try to come back to sort of getting away from we're doing an electrification project or we're doing a decarbonization project to how are we asset managing this asset, this community, so that it lasts 50 years. And by the way, we can cover debt service or pay the bills or improve occupancy, do co- sort of the, the the core competencies of a building owner and manager. Because I can't sell this as a five-year simple payback, let's go and do it and, and I'll end yeah. it and, and everybody will be thrilled. It's actually, there is no payback or uh, it's, a, it's a non-economic payback and therefore much more difficult to quantify kind of payback in the same yeah, way yeah. that carpets and paint and you know the sort of normal capital upgrade stuff that we do um so i'm just trying to sort of bring what we might categorize as an energy project under the umbrella of normal building operations and responsible ownership practices yeah that's that's a great perspective i I, and i i don't see that happening very often um but I'm not in that world so much. I mean, honestly, I think I think building owners have to start thinking that way, and we probably will see this this type of approach more normalized because policy is catching up, right? So if if in Boston and New York City and DC, where Wynn has we own lots of buildings and we manage even more buildings for other owners, many of which are tenant co-ops or nonprofits and smaller owners, policy is um, sort of I would say catching up. So where where ten years ago we might do an energy project and, and sort of be opportunistic. Um, n- now building owners are sort of responding to policies and policies with um, potential you know sticks, so big fines and um, sort of scary implications. Yeah. And I, and I think that the, those policies, as they have teeth now, are, um, are 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 pushing some building owners in the direction of taking this this stuff a little bit more seriously and instead of it just being like an ancillary nice to do kind of thing it's actually a necessary part of a responsible you know business operation yeah so it does have payback it turns out yeah <laughs> yeah fines, don't get fined. fines help <laughs> yeah jeez <laughs> um can we talk about some Examples, either example technologies or strategies or a, a building or two where you're doing something either fairly mundane or fairly innovative. I, I'm sure, sure. It, it and, and we're doing a gamut. And we're doing both, right? I mean, I, I don't want to fool listeners and say everything we're touching is, uh, you know, net zero. It, it's not. I, I think incremental change is also a necessary part of the, the approach and strategy and sort of zero over time yeah. framework that we could talk about. Um, but yeah, a couple of exciting examples. One in, in particular um, hasn't been built yet or, or implemented yet, but we have been designing and engineering an all-electric deep energy retrofit project in Boston at a property called Eva White Apartments. Um, this is part of a RAD conversion, which lots of people in New York City might hear about RAD, uh, Rental Assistance Demonstration, RAD. Uh, it's a HUD program uh, targeting public housing 
and and really in a way attracting capital by potentially privatizing public housing remains affordable low income uh restrictions are maintained the the housing authority gets out of the owner manager business um still supports sort of subsidy and operations but a private player for profit or nonprofit it doesn't matter is taking on the the owner manager role okay so we're doing a rad conversion of Eva white apartments and the the plan as we've designed it, so in, you yeah. you own it now, or you are we, we don't own it now. So the Boston Housing okay. Authority owns it now, and gotcha. when along with a, a, a co developer, a nonprofit partner of ours, are going to buy that building. It's two buildings, hundred two gotcha. units in Boston. Um, we're going to buy those two buildings from the Boston Housing Authority, who's owned the building since they were built in 1964. And um, everyone who lives there now will still live there. And when we acquire the building, we'll also use low-income housing tax credits to do a renovation of the, that building. What's really exciting and sort of satisfying is that, um, well, well, caveat, low-income housing rehabs take a really long time, three to five years. Um, that's really frustrating and that really shouldn't be the case. F- from my perspective, it gives me an opportunity to to sort of insert and potentially divert the project in different directions. So because we just sort of accidentally or maybe not accidentally, but the project didn't get funded and therefore we had uh, time to kind of take a step back and say, could we be doing this differently? Could we be doing this better? How can we get this project funded? And there's different strategies, financial sort of housing policy related. There's also sustainability objectives and strategies that you can do to make a project more competitive and compete for more financing. Um, so that, um, along with you know maybe five other factors, um, sort of all came together and we approached Eva White as a deep energy retrofit project. And so part of our our funding while, while occupied, sorry, while o- occupied. occupied, yeah, which we we yeah. have to we have to be able to do. Right. We can't displace residents. Um, this is an extremely elderly um, property. Uh, we actually did survey the residents, and the average age there is eighty four years old. Um, oh, that's the average age. Yeah, yeah, it's a very elderly um, uh, population. Um, Less than five percent of the residents speak English as their first or primary language. It's a large okay. Chinese population in Chinatown in Boston, and we can't move these folks out of their resi- their, yeah. their apartments. So, anyway, the the scope of work uh, is really exciting and unique. We've been working with Rocky Mountain Institute and and sort of branding this project as a, a realized project and realize is similar to retrofit new york similar to energy sprung it's an initiative that was developed and is being run by rocky mountain institute um but the idea is similar to retrofit new york where and where we're utilizing prefabricated components and striving towards at least 50 percent carbon savings so the eva white project is going to utilize a um an r30 six inch thick unitized prefabricated panel which doesn't actually exist on the market today. We've been working with Trimco for the last year through R&D of this, of this new panel, this new product that'll be eight feet tall and 13 feet wide, manufactured on offsite, shipped to the property and, and mechanically fastened to the concrete floor slabs, which are conveniently exposed at this 1960s uh. Uh, property. Um, and, you know, I, ideally very quickly and again with residents in place, re- completely reclad these these two buildings, while also running 
all new distribution and replacing all the HVAC systems. So right now there's, um, you know, hydronic baseboard, gas boilers, gas domestic hot water, exhaust only from the apartments, uh, you know, a, a non-functional makeup air unit to the corridors. All of that will be removed and replaced with uh, VRF for heating and cooling and new central ERVs, uh, ducting supply air to every bedroom and living room and exhausting from kitchens and bathrooms um, with a projected carbon reduction of 67%, which is sort of amazing. Gotcha. Gotcha, man. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, it just sounds so ambitious. Are you aware of other projects that have done something like this on, on, on a building, on buildings these size? I probably should uh, no projects that have actually done something like this. Um, there are a handful of projects that are at a similar point in sort of design development. I'd say maybe a few months okay. uh, behind ours. Um, interestingly, though, Eva White is physically attached to another property that Wynn owns called Castle Square Apartments. And about 12 years ago, and people may have heard about Castle Square, because 12 years ago, it was the first and biggest deep energy retrofit in the 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 taglines in North America. I don't know if that was fact checked, but call it the biggest <laughs> deep energy retrofit in North America. And um, you know, we we did a deep energy retrofit there and put in super high performance windows that at the time, you know, importing windows from Europe was unheard of. Wow. Now we do that all the time in our passive house new construction projects. Um, and we reclad um, that building using a Kingspan insulated metal panel. But it used, you know, there was no electrification component or, gotcha. you know, even discussion. So high performance gas boilers and, and water heating, you know, trickle vents for makeup air, um, a sort of standard exhaust only strategy. So it left a lot of the, I call it decarbonization strategies of today off the table because I don't think the industry was was really there yet. Still a super impactful and important and it's a high profile project of its time. Now we're we're going to demonstrate the the 2022 version of electrification and decarbonization of occupied rehabs right next door and be able to compare the the results and impacts of the two. Yeah, I mean 10 to 15 years ago, switching to gas, natural gas, that was the responsible thing to do. Right, it's, right. Yeah, exactly. Know, it's like, "Oh my god, get off if you can get off oil anywhere and everywhere, switch to gas, going electric, all electric was I know now we're silly. Now we're kind of fifteen years ago. Now we're kind of kicking ourselves, right? Because if if we had those oil sites today, it would make electrification of those buildings uh, a lot easier. Um, Not technically, but but from a financial standpoint, electrifying natural gas buildings just from an operating expense standpoint, with the electric rates where they are today and with the gas rates where they are today, i.e., no carbon tax, it's it's really challenging. It's interesting how, you know, just 12 years ago, it's not, to me, it doesn't seem that long ago (laughs) at all, but just, it's so different. The technologies are so different. The, the programs and policies are so different. Um, the goals are, are, are quite a bit different. Um, I think we should be proud of, proud of, uh, the change and how far we've come, honestly. And and I think kudos to, you know, Rocky Mountain Institute and Realize, as well as NYSERDA and everything they've been doing with the Retrofit New York program. Um, that is, I mean, honestly, they have very intentionally targeted low-income multifamily buildings for a lot of good reasons. And these are these are communities and households that have been overlooked and where their energy burdens are significantly greater than um, than market rate. 
you know, homeowners um, proportional to their incomes. Um, but they're also they're also projects that have access to subsidy and housing finance programs that can help that we can leverage to hopefully implement these kinds of projects. And I gotcha. think by working with developers and building owners, programs like Retrofit New York have been able to, you know, stretch energy dollars further and really sort of integrate with, um, I call it like the business as usual industry so that even if incrementally we're changing what a, what an occupied rehab looks like from in-kind replacements to a project like Eva White, where we're changing and transforming it, everything. And I think there's going to be a happy medium between the two. Not every project is going to look like Evil White. Um, and we, we are evaluating a couple of, of acquisition rehabs right now where there's newer gas systems, you know, four or five year old condensing boilers that it doesn't make sense to rip them out and put a heat pump there. Not yet. Yeah. We can we can increase capacity, uh, upgrade the switch gear, do some, you know, panel upgrades in apartments, but we're probably going to keep that gas boiler as long as it's operational. Let's reduce the load by addressing the building envelope. Let's address, yeah. address indoor air quality and the load with um, with balanced ventilation and energy recovery. But we're going to punt on electrifying that system until you know it's it's reached the end of its useful life. Yeah, and that gets back into your, your the whole asset management, capital planning topic that that you mentioned. Uh, on Eva White, a big question that comes to mind is, and you touched on this, how replicable is it? I mean, this is this is kind of this is a demonstration project in large part, right? I mean, it's a yeah. big building with meaningful impact, but it's right. How do now, we, it's kind of a one-off, yeah. How do we avoid a, a, a second unicorn? I, I say Castle Square twelve years ago was kind of a unicorn project, uh -huh. and we've done a lot of renovations since then, and they haven't looked anything like Castle Square. So it didn't okay. didn't change how we're renovating buildings then, and so we were we were very cognizant of that going into Evil White. Um, we didn't want this to be a, a one-off. We want to we want to make meaningful change in how we how we scope and finance rehab projects. Again, I'm not saying that every rehab that that my company does is going to look like Eva White. It's just not not possible, and it's not appropriate in every building. Not every building has single pane aluminum windows from the 60s <laughs> in it, right? So, there's again the 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 more we can push the savings and reduce the incremental gap cost. The, the, the better the economics and the business case are to do that project. Doing a deep energy retrofit of a 1960s vintage mid-rise is going to look very different than a 1992 lead silver project, right? Oh, so geez, the yeah, marginal right. savings are just so much less. Right. Both buildings might need that level of improvement, but the savings are less. Um, there are some replicable uh, components of the Evil White project. So firstly, the the panel that we're using the 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 goal there was to work with manufacturers and we worked with a lot of manufacturers this this is an extremely exciting space i think nicer to get all or most of the credit the department of energy certainly gets a lot of credit as well they're really pushing manufacturers to figure out this sort of prefab modular approach to, to retrofits and unitized panels is a way to avoid sort of field measured and installed solutions and ideally implement these kinds of projects faster. So instead of thousands of four, four 
square foot panels uh, wrapping this whole building. We're using kind of mega panels. And yes, they're more expensive to manufacture now, but perhaps with technical improvements to to laser scanning and 3D printing and manufacturing, you know, this, I don't know how far out we are from that kind of goal, but if we can get to this more streamlined um, sort of automated manufacturing solution, these panels are, themselves will be replicable. The attachment, the way it's attached to the building is not, you know, unique to Eve White. Really any okay. concrete and block building is going to get the same type of aluminum H bracket and hanging system and lots of different gotcha. manufacturers hanging or attachment approach is going to look very, very similar, if not identical to what we're doing at Eva White. Um, the way that the window is integrated into the panel, just uh, we're a very risk averse owner. So we've, we've sort of obsessed over the, the water management components of this panel that's a really good starting point for the panel. Every building is going to want to replicate the way that we have integrated the the window to the panel and the way that the panel to the panel interacts. These are kind of product details that got worked out with Evo White as the proxy project, but they'll be replicable across all, all buildings. Um, but the size and the look and the color and the quantity of the panels is totally project specific. Um, and so that, that itself won't be replicable. But I think the fact that we are, we are able to design a project using this panel is going to inspire other projects and other project owners and teams to do the same. That's replicable. I think we, um, I was sort of surprised getting into this field 10 years ago. It's really competitive. Um, financing is competitive. You hear about that all yeah. the time. But we also hear about what somebody's doing in upstate New York or what they're doing down in Connecticut at the policy level and amongst building owners. We kind of, we want to out-compete our peers and and do the the <laughs> next coolest best thing and and that means the if if win is doing the city of white owner abc may push the envelope a little bit further on their next project than their next project so uh -huh. that sort of scaling change not so much replicable but i i do think um kind as of leading by not, example yeah as long as they're not all unicorns you know if everybody's has the yeah. best unicorn that's so, a little I agreed um but what what is very replicable was the um, honestly the the integrated project delivery and the way that this uh, team at Eva White worked together. Cool. We will we will do that on every project now. So at the again the most I think the most replicable outcome of Eva White is our starting point. We've despite being leaders in sustainability and having this this team and and thinking about energy efficiency all the time, we have not set a performance goal up front and i should say enterprise green communities enterprise partners has um has encouraged owners to design a, a, a renovation scope to a performance goal so it's not like we invented this but we hadn't done that before and we'll do that on every project now and and i think that is uh that is a replicable way to approach building so instead of just walking a building doing a capital needs assessment doing a level two ashtray audit I'm I'm saying throw well we probably still have to do a capital needs assessment for HUD or other folks but throw most if not all of that in the trash let's let's decide what our carbon intensity needs to be in this building and then evaluate the different approaches to get us there and ideally those approaches are going to incorporate some kind of unitized prefab insulated panel 
you know, there's there are replicable components of the project. Yeah. Electrification, there's going to be a couple of ways to do hot water and a couple of ways to do heating and cooling and a couple of ways to do ventilation. That's going to be very replicable. Like I, I, I really don't think that the technical package and solution is going to look that different conceptually. The way that it gets fitted and customized to the building is going to, you know, that'll change depending on your building height and your structural needs and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't, I, th- I think conceptually, if you compare to NMEP conceptual narrative from project one to project two, they're going to be very similar themes across the two. I think, yeah, listening to you, that's a, a, f- a couple things came to mind. Well, three things came to mind. Well, two things, the prefab penalization and integrated design. That's something that we've been talking about in the 20 plus years, 25 years I've been in the industry as like, you know, prefab builds whatever you can in a factory where it's, there's better quality control, where it's out of the weather and then ship it to site and new construction, retrofit, both. Prefab has always offered all this promise and there's a lot of people that have used it successfully, but it's never, it's never caught on more than I don't know, 5% is the number that's in my head, Mm -hmm. just industry wide. And maybe we're turning, maybe we're turning the corner about this. I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm excited about it, but it's, it's interesting. That's that's a whole other conversation, but yeah, hopefully different prefab technologies, like you said, laser scanning and just the automated assembly of these things have advanced enough so that it's just a lot more compelling and cost-effective. And with the labor shortages, it may even be more, you know, cost effective. And the integrated design piece, there again, that's something that we've been touting for decades. And it's only r- really, I would say, fairly recently, like with like with Passive House, or I think first I kind of, with Passive House, it just has to happen. Right. Passive House, you're not going to get Passive House certification unless everybody's really in gr- good communication and on the same page. And that didn't used to be the case. And maybe with, again, maybe the, the, the focus, the technology, maybe the, you know, communication technology allows people to do it more effectively and just the need, you just, you just have to, you know, the, the increasing code requirements, never mind program requirements, financing requirements on all levels. It, it just, there's the buildings we built today are so much more complicated Mm -hmm. and for good reason because they're so much better than they were in the past that you just have to be on the same page so it's it's interesting on both fronts that we'll see maybe we're we're turning the corner where prefab and really people getting on the same page with integrated design and construction is a is a real is a real thing forever forever more (laughs) I hope so. I'm optimistic. I have to say, though, integrated uh, product design is only as good as the performance objective, right? Like Uh, you could could integrated product design and an efficient design. The the process to design it may be efficient or improved, Um, but the 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 performance objective that everyone has sort of accountability around and is driving toward. it was, it was, I just really, um, everyone got really excited about that. Like everyone, everyone enjoyed it from the mechanical engineer to the plumbing engineer to the architect, certainly the structural engineer, the sustainability consultant. 
it wasn't just one person doing a checklist over on the side and then, you know, gotcha. sending an email and saying, can you send me your piece in part? Um, it, it was every, everybody really bought into it. And That's I had never great. seen that in, you know, nine, 10 years of, of doing these types of projects, just the kind of accountability and buy-in and enthusiasm. Everyone's really excited to see this project succeed. And we'll kind of go above and beyond to ensure that it does succeed, um, knocking on wood, because we, we still have a couple of important milestones ahead of us. But yeah, um, yeah, and and I think I had th- heard 3%, you know, new constructions or modular starts. It's, it's still really, really small. Um, we won't we won't see market transformation in sort of monumental shifts in existing buildings absent policies and codes um the reason why we're you know we're, we're seeing so much innovation and new construction buildings are pursuing passive certification and they're they're more complicated and better buildings it's because code and policies are are sort of forcing the market in that direction but there is no equivalent in existing buildings at least that i know of um most building renovations that are happening today especially absent program requirements, financing requirements, which you almost never see in sort of market rate development, um, are targeting a an energy year carbon performance metric. And and they really only are in progressive cities like Boston and, and New York. Um, so there's there's a lot there's a lot a long way to go um, policy wise to to change, you know, to even get to four percent, um, I think prefab deep energy retrofits. Yeah, so that's where I was thinking of of going. Like, like this is for this not to be a unicorn, you know, a one-off policy has to change. It sounds like. I think and, and like I think so. Okay, yeah. So Boston, New York, DC. Um, I'm sure there are others. I'm not, I'm not up certainly across the country, across the world. Are, are you, I mean, you're active 23 states, I think you said. Mm-hmm. Are there places where Wynn is thinking about changing the business as usual first, uh, where policy is driving decarbonization? Yeah, and, and Massachusetts and D.C., um, and that's not a coincidence. That's where most of our portfolio is. Um, okay. But it, it's okay. also where these kinds of policies are um, are real and in effect. Um, so the, of those 23 states, we, we probably only own in five or six of them, and the rest are, are, are fee-managed sites. So gotcha. other okay. owners own those buildings. A lot of those buildings in California where um, – Obviously, there's very progressive policies and initiatives and funding opportunities to improve existing buildings. Um, yep. But yeah, we're we're mostly focused on uh, in the Northeast, and every rehab that we're pursuing right now in Massachusetts and DC, but also in New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania, we are evaluating for deep energy retrofit uh, or deep energy retrofit light scope support right so the typical process that any developer goes and does themselves or with their design team or hire team winners to do is go and walk this building and tell us what we need to to do and someone's going to walk into a boiler room and say replace those atmospheric boilers with new high efficiency condensing boilers and replace your makeup air unit with a new makeup air unit there's no there's no like 
transformation. You know, how, how yeah. could, how, unless an owner tells them, go and tell me what I need to do in my building to achieve these two, three, five, ten performance objectives. Right. Con- even, you know, the consultant and design engineer doesn't know what what to do. And so we are, in terms of replicability and scaling, we are evaluating every building, sort of starting here. And and I like to think if we if we evaluate a building, you know, and I like to think we'd sort of dangled this alternative path at Eva White in front of the team. And when you see what's possible, it makes that in kind business as usual renovation you know, worse. And, and and so suddenly your business as usual, what, what everyone is going to do anyway, it, it, it's sort of categorically worse than what yeah. we could do. It used to be this great improvement. We're Im- improving quality of life. We're improving systems and everyone's going to be more comfortable and the building's going to look beautiful. This really wonderful narrative around renovating a building. <laughs> and all of those things are still true and and we do need to renovate and improve the places where people live but if we could do it a little bit different or very different it's kind of hard to backtrack and and do it any other way so i mean are there examples where there are more subtle changes to the business as usual that because eva white it's it's this is it's kind of on the all or nothing spectrum it's it's going all the way right for now in 12 years we'll see we'll see what right. <laughs> unicorn looks like or whatever but are there more subtle ways that that you're seeing where you could move in the direction of decarbonizing shifts away from fossil fuels or load reduction or lighting i don't i don't know i, I guess less dramatic yeah uh, for, steps th- definitely um okay if we're we're we can replace windows and improve roof insulation without also, you know, installing six inches of continuous insulation um, okay. to the to the facade. And so, windows and roof replacements are in almost every renovation project, unless by fluke, uh, you know, they had to happen sort of out of cycle. But in general, gotcha. those are always part of a, a major recapitalization event, and we can replace windows and roofs and do a really good job of that. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see people making dramatic changes to ventilation in buildings. I think that's the challenge for the next several years, like a a good solution for retrofitting ventilation. Um, it it really doesn't exist, uh, in my opinion, but we can air seal and insulate, we can inject foam in exterior walls. We're doing that, um, and you know to sort of normal weatherization work but i i, I don't think that that's enough yeah um, okay personally and I, I i think a lot of folks would agree with me weatherization meaning you know dense packing attics and and caulking around windows and cracks and homes is not enough to reduce loads and it's not enough to improve the envelope enough to electrify in many cases, particularly in cold climates. And so if we're going to electrify a gas furnace in a low-income home, we we need to address the building envelope more than some sort of low-hanging fruit, a weatherization yeah. work. Um, so I, I'm... So, a, yeah. So on your portfolio, it sounds like, maybe not all or nothing, but 
at least most, most or all is kind of be what you focus on moving, try to focus on moving forward if the policies and financing support that pathway. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we, we are evaluating our whole portfolio to identify which buildings are the the best fit for the all-in Eva White, the all-in okay. Retrofit New York, the all-in Realize project. And that's not going to be all of the buildings, right? Again, okay. we're leveraging the needs of Eva White to do the all-in project. It has no exterior insulation. It has single-pane aluminum yeah. windows. It has a defunct ventilation system. Everything in that building needs to be replaced anyway. Gotcha. Right? Gotcha. But there are other buildings in our portfolio where we've replaced the boilers. It has a newer roof. The skin of the building can't structurally support an, a new panel. And and I'd be, I'd be lying to everyone if I said every project was going to be this all in. It, it, it won't be. But okay. um, we're trying to find the hogs where these kinds of projects are, are going to work. And we're using the major rehab when we're touching all of these different components in the building anyway to go as as far as we can contingent upon financing and, and, and costs, obviously. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, there will be buildings where we're only touching the windows, we're only touching the roof, we're converting to heat pumps but not addressing ventilation or maybe we're addressing ventilation but keeping the boilers and we're going to have to kind of piecemeal uh upgrades in in that way one one kind of interesting project we we looked at recently um the windows need to be replaced but the siding was replaced three or four years ago after a hailstorm. oh wow and so i want to replace the windows with new triple glazed windows um triple pane windows but we really want to do that at the same time as as improving the the, the shell of the building. And so we, we'd want to remove all of the siding and install mm. three inches of mineral wool and reclad and, and tie the new triple pane windows into that new thermal barrier. And and ideally do that those two things, the continuous insulation and the windows at the same time. Again, the siding was just replaced. The site spent yeah, half yeah. a million dollars in an insurance claim to replace the siding. And sort of for and, and this is a building that we're acquiring. So it was a different owner a few years ago that got All you right. know damaged in a storm and yada yada yada. And that's kind of a trade-off. Like we have to decide do we remove this brand new siding in order to do the insulation now and do it with the windows, or can we do the windows now in such a way to you know, not damage the new siding when we're trying to tie the new windows into the skin? Or do we wait to do the windows for 10 years when that siding or the rest of the siding needs to be replaced? And this this is the asset, this is the asset management piece uh, where I want to try to intercept and sort of interject this way of approaching a project so that we don't not waste money, but we don't do the project at the r wrong time and leave savings and leave even a sort of better outcome on the table. And so if that means we can yeah. wait to do some of the windows and just, you know, fix locks and make sure they're balanced and fix screens or some broken glass here and there is sort of make incremental changes, but not spend whatever, $3 million Millions, on the window yeah. replacement um, so that we can do the, the, the all-in project in three or five years. Um, gotcha. You know, that may be Man. an economic decision that is worth making. Yep. Man, yeah. 
Those are great examples. And, and I, I, I'm looking at the clock. We've time has flown. One of the, we, you know, if we were to talk again in five or 10 years, we had a, we, you talked about looking back 12 years uh, to the Boston project. If we were to talk again in five or 10, what do you think we'd be talking about? Um, we just got an exciting award from the Department of Energy through their Connected Communities Initiative, which is all about grid interactive efficient buildings, or GEBS. Right. I think yep. that's what we're going to be talking about. So I'm looking at new construction projects with, with you know, high efficiency heat pumps and they're, they're passive house certified or they will be. And I didn't put, we didn't put smart devices and connected devices and thermostats and Wi-Fi networks, all of these kind of we 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 missed that and there's a lot of loads in these buildings whether it's you know resident facing or landlord facing or both probably that um you know we don't have access to today and i think that there's there's some exciting progress to be made around um load shaping and load shedding and you know demand response and demand reduction um that we're at least at when you know we're we're not and i don't think most people are really thinking about today and in five years i think instead of a generator we'll have battery storage and we're going to have uh greater resiliency and um just greater control and insight into how our buildings use energy you know when and why and how i think you're probably right <laughs> Yeah, and hopefully we'll have more competitive solutions, you know, uh, prefab panels, uh, you know, there's 10 options and they're all competitive with each other and we can get good pricing. There's lots of way to heat hot water in large multifamily buildings and we can get competitive pricing and we know how to, we know how to pay for it and we know how to design it well. Um, So I, I, I hope that everything that we're talking about today is going to be sort of commercialized and normal, uh, I was going to say normalized. Yeah, normalized yeah, in, in normalized. five years. And we're uh, we're all talking like we're utility companies and grid operators in five years. Yeah. Maybe not. That's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Christina. Thanks for your time. This is this is super interesting. And, it, and it's just exciting. It's exciting to hear just, you know, your perspective. I mean, I've known you since before you were at Wynn, but just to hear you you know, to hear your perspective at, at how Wynn is thinking about this, it just makes so much sense. It's not pie in the sky. It's, it's down to earth, but, but real progress, you know, we're talking about real progress here. Yeah. Real projects and real places where people live and work. Um, thank you. This is really exciting. I, um, I, I say this seriously, SWA and, uh, your colleagues, yourself included have, have been, uh, you know, mentors and inspiration to me. I mean, I think 10 years ago, our sustainability consultants were really paving the way for us as building owners and operators to, to do better and teaching us along the way. And I think we still have a, a ton to, to learn from, from you all and really each other. But I'm, I'm excited yeah. and impressed by how much the industry has matured. I think we're in a, a good, good place to tackle hard problems. Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks. Ending on a high note. I like it. Good. (laughs) Thanks, Rob. Thanks very much to Christina. I really enjoyed chatting. Uh, For more info on this and related topics, check out the show notes page. 
uh, swinter.com slash podcast. That's swinter.com slash podcast. As always, I'd encourage you to check out our careers page at swinter.com if you're interested in opportunities. As I mentioned up top, Stephen Winter Associates is 50 years old this year. Uh, from the start, we've been focusing on improving buildings, making buildings better, more sustainable, affordable, accessible, resilient. It's a long list. I won't go through it all here. We have openings in all of our offices, New York City, Connecticut, Boston, Washington, DC. So check that out if you're interested. Thanks to the podcast team here, especially Alex Marabale, who's really the producer and does most of the editing for these for these episodes. You can get in touch with us at podcast at swinter.com, podcast at swinter.com. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>